There once was an evangel- evangelistic pastor. Every week he went to a ner- new church to preach to the congregation. So one Sabbath he came up to a church to preach, and it was kind of a smaller church, and it happened to be potluck Sabbath, his favorite Sabbath. And so he comes walking into the um, church, and the elders approach him, saying, Welcome, we're so glad you are here today. We cannot wait to hear your message. But then from behind one of the elders, a little boy pops his head out, with a big smile on his face. And the elder puts his hand on the little boy's back and walks him up to the pastor and says, This is Noah. He's going to be your helper for today. So anything you need, talk to him and he will get it for you. The little boy just looks up at him with a big smile on his face, so happy to be of use in this situation. And so the pastor kneels down and gives him a big smile and says, thank you for helping me. I'm so, glad, I'm so happy you're here. So then the day goes on and the pastor comes up onto the stage and presents his sermon and walks off. The service is over and everyone heads over to potluck. And they say, visitors go first. So the pastor and the little boy get up and they walk and they get in line and they begin to get their plates and begin to get the food. And the little boy stops at each plate and says, oh, you're going to want some of that. Oh, you really, really want some some of that. Get, get, Get two portions of that. That one's really good. But they come to the very end and there's this casserole. And the little boy looks at it and says, you don't want that one. That one's not very good. <laughs> and the pastor just smiles and says, well, who makes that? My mom does. <laughs> family is a very interesting thing. Whether it is your biological family or your church family, it's very interesting because you spend so much time together that you know each other very, very well. Especially during meals. Something about culture is that when we come together to have a meal, it's an important thing. This is how we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. For my family, birthdays, you come together and you share a meal. And this was also the case in biblical times. So coming together to spend a meal, especially a holiday meal, is this very interesting and bonding moment. I should have known this when I first met my fiancé's parents. They're here, so I had to talk about them. <laughs> but I met them on a very interesting day on, for dinner on Thanksgiving. Very first time, we'd only been going out for a few weeks, and they're like looking at me like, um, who's this girl <laughs> who's having Thanksgiving dinner with us? Because <laughs> fa- Thanksgiving and holidays are to spend with the people that you love, and to have basically a complete stranger was very interesting. So I should have known at that moment what his intentions were when he introduced me at Thanksgiving. We're engaged, by the way. But family, sharing in that time, sharing in that space, that bonding moments, that is where your character is built. That is where who you are is formed. In your formative years, you are living life, watching your parents, watching your siblings, watching your relatives, and either you become more like them or you become less like them as you grow up. In the past few months, we have been looking at the Gospel of Luke. 
And I have some bad news for you guys. Today is our last Sabbath looking, in this series at least, looking at the Gospel of Luke. So if you really enjoyed it, we have a Bible study happening throughout the week. Come talk to Bob about that one. But today we are hitting the climax of Luke, the final moments of Luke's story and the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. This is the high point. This is where everything happens. The crucifixion story is what we are discussing today. But kind of as a recap of our series we've been doing, we've been looking at the ideas of Luke and finding that his message to us is to love God, to love people, and to be kinds. This is the core of Luke's gospel that he has for us. We have watched Jesus as he has interacted with people such as the poor, the sick, the criminals, even the rich that were um, rich because of unnice circumstances and the outcasts. We have watched as Jesus has shown love to everyone, no matter who they were, no matter their social standing, no matter what they have done in the past, Jesus showed them love. And how that is a message for us today is to act in the way that Jesus acted. And so now we come to this final moment, the crucifixion story. Everything was leading up to this. All the stories before this were leading up to this very moment, the crucifixion. And Luke, but yet when we get to this point in the story, Luke does not focus on the crucifixion itself. He clips right through the story, and you have Jesus carrying the cross, and he walks up onto the, thing, onto the mount of skull, and he takes his cross, and he is nailed to the cross, and that, after that is when it slows down. He uses four words to describe what happened to Jesus. And there he crucified. He was, there they crucified him. This is not the story of Matthew where we have a depiction of Jesus being nailed to the cross. We don't envision the blood that is being poured down from, his, from the crown of thorns on his head. This is not the passion of Christ. This is Luke's version of the crucifixion. He is, he is not focusing on the details. Whether it is because they have already been heard in other gospels. But either way, he does not focus on that. Luke is the social justice gospel. He cares more about the society around and how we should act than he does about the previous action. In his message to us, it is to love others. Yes, God loves us, but he is more concerned with what that love in us and how that shows in our society. He cares more about our responses to injustice than the injustice itself. And that is what he focuses on in this passage. His focus is the responses to the injustice that is occurring on the cross and how individuals respond to the situation. So the first response we come to is Jesus. And in Jesus, following his character, he is, has a response of forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The term said there is kind of interesting. I learned this in my Greek class, so bear with me. It is the imperfect, greet, imperfect 
version of that Greek word, meaning that it is said over and over again. This was not just one declaration of Father, forgive them. It was Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then the camera goes from the cross and Jesus dying on the cross and he, it quickly moves over to the leaders, the rulers that are present. As we're moving, you quickly see them casting lots, fulfilling prophecy. But Luke doesn't stop there and doesn't dive into that. He focuses in on the next response of those present to the cross, the rulers. And they are mocking Jesus, crying out, he's saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, save himself. Their response to the injustice is to mock him. And then the camera pans over quickly, and we see the Roman soldiers giving Jesus wine from a sponge. There's no plea of Jesus asking for water. It's just happening. Luke doesn't focus on it. He focuses on the response of the Roman soldiers. And they are saying to Jesus, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They are mocking the man who is experiencing such great injustice. And the camera pans up to this decree on the top of Jesus' head, saying, this is the king of the Jews. Another statement of mocking, because that was supposed to be his, the reason why he was dying, the reason why he was sentenced to this punishment, was because he claimed that he was the king of the Jews. Another mocking statement. And then the camera hands over to the criminal number one. And he, I don't know if he's mocking, per se, but he's more so trying to save himself. He's more concerned about his own salvation than anyone else. And he says to him, to Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Response of wanting to save his own back. But then we come to the response of criminal number two. And he's got a beautiful response. Powerful response of just wanting to be known and loved by God. He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knows his faults. He knows why he is there. He claims himself that he deserves death. But he is not worried about saving himself. He is not worried about getting off the cross. All he is worried about is that Jesus remembers him. He knows somehow the plan that is in process. He knows what is happening here, and he just wants to be remembered and loved by God. That's all his concern is. Jesus, in this moment, gives a sentence of forgiveness to everyone on the scene. 
But it's not after they are requesting forgiveness. It's not after they, requ- they say, oh, we're sorry, what we did was wrong. It is while they are in sin, Jesus forgives them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He gives them this prayer. And the fact is, all of them need it. Even the criminal who responded in this beautiful way, they are all in need of Christ's forgiveness. And he gives it to them. Through the sweat, through the blood, the thorns and the nails, the mockery and the humiliation, the burning love of God is still present in Christ Jesus. Even in his darkest moments. Even in this mistreatment of Jesus. Even in his darkest moments. And the funny thing is that in this mistreatment of Jesus, they are expressing the character of Jesus. By saying, save yourself if you could. We know he can. But he is not going to. Because Jesus didn't come to this earth to save himself. He didn't come here just to experience life the way that we lived it. He came here to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, to, be, to forgive us of our sins. And so no, he's not going to save himself because that's not in his character. He lived a life of service to the rest of the world in everything he did. And this is his final act of service before his death. So Jesus says, forgive them. But the question we can ask is, who is them that he's referring to? Is it Pilate? The one who... Is it Pilate, the one who sentenced his death even though he knew that this man was not guilty of a sin? Is it the Roman soldiers, the one who actually nailed him to the cross, sentencing him to death? Is it the religious leaders who let politics and everything else around him get in the way and they were afraid that he would wreck their status quo, so they put him on a cross? Is it the crowd? The crowd that once followed him, once chanted his name and said, Jesus, we're so glad you are here. The same chants turned to crucify him, crucify him. We want his blood. Give us back the murderer and kill the innocent man. Are these the thems that Jesus is trying, is passing forgiveness on? The one who caused this great injustice? This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Luke. This is the good news of Matthew and of John and of Mark. That even in his darkest moments, Jesus declares forgiveness to all of them. Even the the ones that, including the ones that cause injustice, the ones that are complacent to injustice, the ones that are just following the way of society and so they say that injustice is okay because they're just following the crowd. But yet that burning fire of God's love is still burning. It is burning for all of them. And it is burning for all of us. Because the fact is we live in the shadow of that cross. We come to the foot of the cross because we are just like those that are around, those that are in the presence. We are in need of 
forgiveness. Since Adam and Eve, we are in need of that burning fire of God's love. We need that forgiveness that Jesus has prayed for. And so we live in the shadow of the cross. We have heard the message that Jesus has preached to love God, to love people, and to be kind, but yet we still have hatred in our hearts. But yet we still condemn people because they're different than we are. But yet we are still uncomfortable by those that are not like us. But yet we still argue with our neighbors, our fellow church members. Yet we still get mad at the people who cut us off on the the freeway as we are driving. Fact is, we slip up. We put up with the injustice that is in our world. It's a part of our nature. We fail constantly. And we do not know what we are doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't know what we're doing. We were never meant to know what we were doing. We were meant to trust in God's definition of good and evil. But yet Adam and Eve decided to say, no, 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 we got this, God. We're going to figure it out for ourselves. And they ate from that tree. They ate the fruits, causing all of that happens afterwards. We don't know what we are doing Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, David, Paul, you, me, and everyone else. We give our best guess. We give our best understanding. We read the Bible and we study it faithfully. But there's still so much that we cannot know. And I think that's an amen because that leaves us trusting in God when we don't have the answers. That leaves us trusting in the one who does have the answers. God knows this, that he knows that we have these shortcomings. And so he sent his son to die for our shortcomings. He sent his son to forgive us of this so that we can still be with him. That is the goal of all of this. Because this is not a guilt sermon. This is not a sermon where I'm saying you should feel bad for everything you do wrong, and every time you slip up, you're a terrible person. That's not my goal here. This is the gospel, the good news, the good news that Jesus Christ has come. We're going into Christmas season where we will focus on this. That is the good news that Jesus Christ came It is the good news that Jesus Christ lived his life, showing us a glimpse of the life that God wants for us, a glimpse of the character of God. And the good news that Jesus died for our sins, forgiving us as he did it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the second part of this good news after the forgiveness, is the response that Jesus has to the criminal. The criminal asked to be remembered. He wanted a hope that he was going to be loved by God, even though he made mistakes, even though he did things wrong. He knew that. And so Jesus responds to this criminal and just says, just explain that he deserved his fate. Jesus says to you, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Sometimes we like to argue about where that comma should go. 
So I'm going to toss another place where I think the comma should go. This is what the today and where it should happen. I think the comma should be placed after me. Hear me out. If it says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Does that change the meaning a little bit? You will be with me, comma, in paradise. Because the author of Luke is very fond of the term today. He uses this term quite, quite constant in his, in his gospel. It says, today salvation has come. Today you will be with me in paradise. Because Luke is trying to get this point across that we need to live in the presence of God today. And that is paradise. Living our life, looking on the face of Jesus, striving to be more like him, communing with him and having dinners with him, that is paradise. Spending that time. Because back before the fall of humanity, that is what we did. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God, and he wants that again. As we've talked about before in previous sermons, forgiveness is not just for forgiveness' sake but it is for the restoration of the relationship. It is to renew the relationship so that you guys can be in right relationship again. The forgiveness that Jesus gives is not just to forgive us our sins so we can go on our merry way. It is forgiveness so that relationships can be restored. Because the fire of God's love for us burns today. The fire of God's love burns for us, and he wants us to be with him, even though we've made mistakes. Even though our sins placed him on the cross, he wants to be with us. We were in right relationship with him, and we are meant to be in that relationship again. We are meant to live in the kingdom of God today. Today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives, and throughout all eternity, God wants us to live in his kingdom. And his kingdom looks like love. His kingdom looks like love for God and respecting him. And his kingdom looks like justice. Justice for the ones that have been mistreated by society. Justice for the ones who have been mistreated because of their gender, because of their race, because of whatever things we as a world think is less than. But that is not of God. God calls for us to love one another. And that is living in the kingdom of God. That is where he wants us to live today. So let us go as we live our lives and live in the kingdom. Live in the presence. Remembering that the cross redeemed our sins so we can restore the relationship with him. And so let's let that love permeate through all of us and show it to the rest of the world. That we love God, love people, And let's be kind.